Someone You Should Know, a program about people you know and even more that you don't. Hosted by Stuart Sachs, veteran, husband, father, and grandfather. Now, here's your host, Stuart Sachs. Well, welcome to another edition of Someone You Should Know. Glad to have you here. It's a bright uh, Wednesday morning. And I'm glad that you uh, decided to spend a little bit of time with us. I think you're going to be fascinated by today's show because we're going to be giving you a lot of information, some of which you may have already known about, and most of which you probably haven't. But we are also brought to you today by our good friends over at No Sweat Air Experts Air Conditioning. You know, there's a lot in no matter what city you're in, and we are in the north part of Texas, and No Sweat is a northern Texas company. but Wherever you live, I urge you, you know, check out maybe some of the big major companies, but also look a little deeper into some of the the more independently owned uh, operations that have maybe one, two locations, because I think they give you a better service, they give you better prices, and they show up on time. We're getting ready to head into the fall season and all, and you want to make sure you have a good transition from your air conditioning system to your heating air conditioning. And if you're in the North Texas area, No Sweat Experts is the company you need to reach out to. Well, today we're going to be talking about marriage. And we're also going to be talking about the alternative. Uh, and you'll see why, because my guest uh, has written a book that people can take. And, you know, I don't know why this wasn't out there, you know, 40 and 50 years ago, because Honestly, I think people need a manual to to have at their disposal prior to walking down that aisle and saying I do. Um so you know the my my guest has written a book called The Marriage License Handbook and Test. So it's a great thing so if you've got kids that are thinking about getting married uh and all, or you're heading maybe down the aisle for the second or maybe third time, you might want to listen very carefully to my very, very good friend and my guest, Judith Kaluzny. Judith, welcome. Good morning. Good, good to see you again. And, and uh, yeah. this subject it is, is something that, you know, eludes most people, I think, uh, because marriage is just, oh, it's, it's you know, I, you fall in love and everything is wonderful and let's get married. And you wonder where did the thought process stop, you know, to, yeah. to, before getting married. So you have been, you, you were an attorney. For 43 years. Uh, and, and a mediator of divorce law. Yes. Where, where did you get the idea that, you know what, I think there's, there's something to be said about marriage and divorce, I'm going to make that my life's career. Okay. Well, there were two, two reasons. One was that I found that some very intelligent people and educated people thought that when they got married in California, that everything they owned became community property. Well, that's not true. Um, only what you acquire after marriage through your work uh, is community property. For example, if you own stocks, 
before you married and you have uh, your portfolio manager and she or he takes care of everything, those stocks remain separate property. There's only nine community property states. All the rest have some other form of marital property. Depending on the state that, that the, our listeners and viewers are live in, how do they uh, go about finding out what the rules and regulations are in their state? Well, they would, they would uh, you could just Google your state marriage law um, or marriage statutes. Um, dot, you know, just Google it. Um, however, basically it, everywhere, everywhere in the world, marriage is a contract. And the contract is written by each and every state of these United States. However, if you want, if you don't like the contract, the default contract, I call it, you can write your own contract. So in California, you could write a contract that says everything we acquire will be the proper separate property of whoever works for it. Or in in a in a in a marital property state, you can say everything we acquire after we're married will be community property. So you can change your state default rules by writing an agreement, which is commonly known as a prenup or a premarital agreement. Now, here's another interesting point that most people don't realize. After you're married, you can also write agreements that change your, your property status. I had, I had a client one time, a, a woman that had been in business, a very successful business for 11 years. When she started her business, she told me, she consulted with a lawyer and said she wanted the business to be her separate property. And the lawyer says, oh no, it has to be community property. Well, that was just not true. They could have written an agreement. She and husband signed and dated it, and it could have been her separate property. So, like I say, marriage is a contract, and it involves property according to your state law, but you can change that state law if you don't like it. But still, the obligations to be faithful and, and uh, honorable still do apply. You can't. You can't write those out. There's a lot of states nowadays that have uh, rules on uh, on uh, confidentiality and uh, that oblige you to have full disclosure of all your property. And in California, there's great penalties if you fail to disclose any asset. Um, for example, one woman. Uh, Shortly before separation, uh, played the lottery, and she found out after they were separated, she won the lottery, and she didn't tell husband. Well, a year later, he found out about it, and he took her to court, and the court uh, penalized her for not disclosing that asset. And they didn't. The court didn't just divide the money; they gave it all to husband as punishment for her failure to disclose. Yeah. Really? Yes. Oh, I mean, I can understand saying half of what you won goes to him, but all of it? Uh, and it's a, as a punishment for failure yeah. to disclose. 
it's called it's called a fiduciary obligation. When you get married, you have a fiduciary obligation to your spouse. That's like a bank. You know, you have to deal with your spouse with highest good faith and fair dealing. Judith, why is it that people aren't aware of this and they don't research this before they get married? I don't know. I it's odd the attitudes. You know, uh, some years ago, the California legislature passed a law that said that a premarital agreement was mandatory. Well, Governor Brown the Third, Jerry Brown, <laughs> vetoed that. He said it wasn't romantic. Well, neither is arguing over property when you well, get divorced from it, or even during marriage. Well, you know, I mean, I, I, I understand, and, and it it makes common sense that, you know, if, you know, you set love aside for just a minute uh, and say, we're going into this marriage, we're going into this contract and all, and it's to both of our benefits, we do that. Then once we have the contract, then we can put love back on the table and let it take, let it take its course. But by not pursuing that, it seems that that the bride and groom are doing themselves a great injustice because if there is a rocky road uh, ahead, then they throw it at each other. Well, you never told me about that that business that you had on the side, or you hid that from me, and I'm going to take you to court to get it. Well, there's another aspect, too. Marital agreements, pre or post up are not just about property. Um, they do include property rights. You can you can define or redefine your rights. Um, but what about a spouse who takes time out of the workforce to take care of children or or a sick relative? Your 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 agreement, your marital agreement can include how to compensate that spouse for time out of the workforce. Or um, you can, in your premarital agreement, you can agree to a plan for parenting of children. Or talk about if you want to have children. Or, you know, if we don't have children, would we adopt children? There's all kinds of things. How, who's going to manage the money? Will we work on, will we have a budget? Will we combine our incomes? You know, a lot of people these days, um, Keep their keep their earnings in separate bank accounts, and have an agreement that the, their earnings shall be separate property. But then they have a joint account, to which they define their contributions. It may be in proportion to their income, it may be equal, and they use that account for joint funds like vacations, mortgage, and so forth. Is that an avenue that you would you would support and and uh, and suggest to people uh, when they are planning to get married to have separate accounts for your for your your you know fund money, but have a have a joint account that you both contribute in for say mortgage payments, car payments, insurance payments, and all of that. Well, it depends on if they if they. You know, their their personal feelings, you know. Um, I mean, you want to think about before marriage, do you intend to share everything 
or or um, if one spouse earns significantly more than the other, what happens? You know, would you would you have a joint account that's in proportion to the earnings, or or how do you intend to make financial decisions? You know, will you discuss everything jointly? What are the little things that you can decide separately? What are the big things that you have to have a joint agreement? Um, who, who's going to pay the bills? Who's going to write the checks? I remember when I was married, my ex, and when it was bill paying time, he'd sit there at the desk and she'd get in such a state, an emotional state. I finally said, oh, stop, I'll do it. You know, he, it was just his personality that he liked to complain and moan and groan and swear about paying the bills. So I took it over. In any case. You know, the, a, an area that I think is extremely important that I want you, want you to share with the audience is when there are children involved, because when you go into the marriage, you know, you start talking about when you're going to start having children and maybe you say, well, we're going to have two children. Uh, then maybe a third comes along. I think you, you have, how many children do you have? Seven? Seven, yes. So here you are. Let's, I'm going to just paint. I won't say I recommend it. <laughs> well, you know, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Uh, you know, a, a, a man and a woman have seven children and they decide that they just can't get along anymore and they want a divorce. I mean, the guy says, okay, fine. You take, you take the seven kids and I'll, and I'll just send you a check every month. I mean, is that, is that a fair settlement or it, and, and is that fair to the children? It depends on what kind of a father a man is. You know, if, if yeah. he's been, been an active parent the whole time, he won't even want that. You know, but in, in, in my particular case, I remember my eight-year-old daughter said, gee, Ma, I see more of Dad now that you guys have split up than I did when he lived here. So the, the old-fashioned parent father was, was not that involved. That's not true anymore. I think men, men are no, now more active parents. That's what I think. And I think that uh, well, in that case... It's easy to work out a parenting plan. How have, how have you seen the dynamic of marriage change from, you know, when you started practicing over 40 years ago uh, and to today? I mean, what are, the, what are the main red flags that people should be watching for uh, in, in what, when going into a marriage? Well, you know, I think uh, realistically... Marriage will probably not be a lifetime commitment. You know, in the olden days, when we thought of marriage as for life, life wasn't that long. I mean, True. people died tuberculosis and 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 uh, all sorts of smallpox, and malaria was common in those days. Uh, industrial accidents, farm accidents, and of course, a lot of women died in childbirth. Right. So the marriage lasted 15 years. And nowadays, you come to being married, let's say, 25 years, and you're 50 years old. 
and the kids are off to college and you're sitting across the breakfast table and you know you're going to live another 25 years at least. And you look across the table and you think, hmm, 25 more years. And you know, <laughs> people can grow and develop and change. And I think that, that, that it's, it's not uncommon to grow separately. It's, I think it's unusual if people grow together. So anyway, one should, one should plan for a yeah. second stage, I think. So, so having said that, where did the idea of, of writing a handbook for, for marriage, uh, come, come to you and, and what were the steps that you took to, to develop it? Oh, well, the, the, uh, I was reading Michael Pollan's, uh, book, The Omnivore's Dilemma. And in that he tells about four meals, starting with, uh, fast foods. The, la the fourth meal was all natural. And for that, he wanted to uh, hunt down a, a wild pig for the entree. He, he harvested vegetables from Golden Gate Park. He, he harvested yeast from the air. But to get the hunting license, he had to take a 14-hour test, a, well, class. And then he had to take a 100-question quiz. And I thought, oh, marriage license. Well, let's see. Um, driver's license, you have to take an eye test, a road test, a written test. Marriage license, where were your mother and father born and you give me 56 bucks? So that's, and, and everything was already in my mind. It was, you're right. It's just, it's just the size of the driver's license handbook. <laughs> so when you go to get your driver's license, you might as well pick up uh, one of your marriage handbooks also. Oh, if we only had them there. I, I dropped one off at the county uh, clerk's office, hoping that, you know, the county clerk issues licenses with a suggestion that pass it on to the head guy. And maybe they can furnish books to people who come in for a license. Honestly, think that it's a, it's a great idea for anybody even contemplating marriage, whether you're a teenager yeah. or whether you're a young adult. Uh, you know, be, because it, there's obviously going to be items in your book that young people in love getting ready to get married never thought about and, right. and, and, and need to take into consideration. Right. Right. And even if they even if they think they'll never get married, you know, it's interesting information. I heard the, a friend of mine, I gave a book to she's and her husband. We're married, I'm married 38 years. And she told me they had great fun reading the book and they had That's even more fun taking the test at the end. And so, how, did uh, they, how did they score? Oh, I forgot to ask that. That's, that's 40, it's 40 multiple choice questions and 10 true false. So it, it, was, it was fun to write. And uh, most of it I already had in mind. The, so. the, you know, you, you mentioned, there's something that you mentioned, uh, uh, prenup, postnup, uh, but there are also financial agreements that can be made during the marriage. Yes. Uh, 
has and and what what are some of those that people should be aware of? Well, as I say, if one person wants to start a business, if the other spouse is agreeable, you can write an agreement that the business is separate property. Um, or if the community invests at the beginning, you say it's separate property, except we'll repay the investment. Or um, I had one couple that came in that uh, husband loved wife dearly, but she he didn't he was very uncomfortable with her spending habits. She was kind of an irrational spender, and he was getting nervous about their their credit rating. So we worked out an agreement to separate their finances, so that and, and I told them take this agreement and and record it with the county recorder because then it becomes official notice to any creditor that that her debts are her separate debts and that the community is not responsible for them. So, like I say, whether it's actual notice to creditor, it's official notice. So, so in other words, you said that anything that you have when you enter the marriage is 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 separate property, not community property. But there is an avenue if you want to establish something privately during the marriage. There are steps that you can take in order to do that and separate that from the community property in the marriage. Yeah, you just write an agreement. You write a contract. Just you know, make the terms clear and understandable, and uh, sign it. Both of you sign it and date it, and that's an enforceable contract. So I, we know a, a, a bit about that. You 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 uh, you pursued you know uh, law in in the the area of marriage and all, but how how did the mediation part of it come in? And how do you feel about about the mediation part of of a marriage situation between a couple? Well, Seward, I'm working on my second book. It's the American way of divorce, subtitled "A Fraud on Families." Divorce. <laughs> ah. The, the court and legal process is a complete fraud. Um. So I, half of half of my forty three years, I did no longer go to court. I, I, I when I learned about mediation, and it was at the invitation of a of a sociologist who became a trained mediator. She asked me to be her attorney consultant, and it just made so much more sense that uh, um, I became a mediator. Let me give you one my favorite example. I had a couple that came in for mediation. They had one house, uh, two pensions, three kids, and support for stay-at-home dad. They came in February. Before the end of April, their divorce was complete, signed by a judge, and returned to them. Then I had another man came in and wanted to do mediation. His wife already had a lawyer who was apparently a nice woman, and uh, they had already, this lawyer had done a, Parenting plan, first thing, get the kids out of the way for the other discussions. They had a lot of assets. And uh, and so I couldn't contact the wife because she already had a lawyer, but I wrote for him an interim agreement 
to how to pursue the rest of their division of property. It included uh, using a certified financial divorce financial advisor, and it included a good support package for the interim. And she became offended at this offer, and I think she talked to her PTA friends. She fired her nice lawyer, hired a, the number one shark of this county, and four years and 3,300 pages filed with the court and $429,000 in attorney's fees later, the two of them, husband and wife, went to a coffee shop and spent all night and wrote their own agreement. You know, I had, I had another client that came to me for mediation and she said she had talked to a divorce lawyer and said that, you know, we just want to be friends when we're finished. And the lawyer said to her, when we're finished, you won't be friends. And she ran out of there. I met another young woman who uh, was married only two years and they had a prenup and their divorce took four years. And they met sometime later and they got to talking and they found out all the nasty things that one said about the other as reported by the lawyers were only made up by the lawyers to cause hostility. That neither one of them had said any bad thing about the other one. The, the serious part is when there's domestic violence. You know, you need, you need some special um, process for that. Mediation is not appropriate. You know, but, and training judges, training psychologists, psychology has become this big business with custody. You know, before, one old lawyer told me, before no fault, there were no custody fights in California. But after no fault, now custody is a big business for psychologists as well as lawyers. A young woman at a, at a meeting last month told me she's been seven years in a divorce court and spent $21,000 for a psychologist doing a custody evaluation that was ordered by the court. It's just gone crazy. So in any case, it's mediation is, is the way to go. Unless, unless, as I say, there's domestic violence. It, it, let me talk about the training. People think if we just train the judges Please, yes. and train the psychologists. Well, I had a, a, a divorce that was not mediated and, and the wife told me uh, that the domestic abuse started when they were on their honeymoon in Hawaii. But she lasted four years and they had two kids. And uh, in, in, in my county, there was one judge very concerned about domestic violence. So he ordered all psychologists that wanted to be appointed as custody evaluators must take this 12 hour class in domestic violence. And in that class, I went to that class for the reason that I wanted to know what to expect from them. And the same class was offered to, to lawyers who wanted to be appointed to represent children. I went to that class too, just to find out what to expect from these lawyers. Anyway, so my client was ordered to, to uh, for a, a custody evaluation with a psychologist. She and her husband were both tall, slim, good-looking people. He was a lawyer. She was a teacher. And before she went in to the psychologist, who was 
a big name in this area in my county. Um, I called the office to make sure that she would not be in the same room with the husband. And they, the receptionist says, we know how to run our business. And um, this was after the domestic violence training, where the basic rule is they're not in the same room. She came back and told me the man had her sitting next to the husband. And she said, I felt I couldn't speak frankly because he would get even with me later. So much for the training. Yeah, so so that that's why you say that some of the the concept of di divorce is uh, is fraudulent uh, and and yeah. need be overdone, you know, overdone. Oh, listen, worse yet, Stuart. All the state laws say how much they care about children. Well, there's an organization in California that tracks child murders in the whole nation. And these are child murders by a parent who's involved in a divorce or separation. Since 2008, there's been 993 kids killed by a parent. Just, uh, it just I, That's out of the heat of passion. I think that the court process is so aggravating and, and it just builds hostility. The lawyers build hostility that people um, just break. And is it, and is it fair to say that, that in, in, you know, too many instances, it's the children that are the biggest victims of, of the divorce? Oh yeah. Yeah. There was one judge in my County, um, David Bells, who came to the family law bar association lunch. And he also went to the probate bar lunch. Those are the people that do guardianships. And he talked about ACEs. That's a new area of research, adverse childhood experiences. And he said the stress on parents cannot help but devolve upon the children in a divorce. He said there's the stress of the money. There's the stress of the time. They, they, Oh, a part of the reason I say it's fraud that in this state and in other states that I've looked at so far, few people finish their divorce with an actual trial in front of a judge. The rest of them, I call it trial by carborundum. They go to court time after time after time and get continuances because the court schedule, they don't have enough judges and, and the there's too many cases on to not continue it. And um, these people that I talked about have, you know, four years and 429,000. They'd been to court five times. Uh, I had a young man that was working for me, went to court five times just on a preliminary order for parenting. And then he got a bad order from a new judge. And I said, don't worry, Juan, there's still the trial. He said, what? You mean there's more? So it's, it's, uh, you know, the, the minimum, if you go through litigation in this state, the minimum time it takes is two years, five years is common. And like I said, this young woman last month told me she's been in it seven years. No, and, what is that? What is somebody? And, yeah, and oh, yeah. another, another <laughs> woman. 
that has consulted with me. It's custody. She and her husband got married solely because she was pregnant. And they had a prenup and they separated six months later. And he, 14 years later, he is still taking her to court for modifications to their parenting, to custody. I should talk about that. Custody, those ugly words, custody and visitation have been abolished in, in 17 states. 17 states have changed those words to parenting play or parental responsibility because custody is a word that promotes hostility. It's custody win, custody lose, custody battle. So, right. But, but California rejected that back in 1989. We still do custody in California. You think it's a progressive state? <laughs> Not quite. Not quite. But, uh, and I'll tell you one thing that Illinois has that I really like. They, they did a new, um, parenting statute. And one of the rules is that you cannot take the other person back to court for a modification without first showing a good reason that there's a change in plans. In California, this guy is doing it time and again, and the child is 14 years old. Mom says the girl is very withdrawn, has no friends. She's very shy. Mom said, mom's trying to run a business and always and, and, and so he'll file for modification and there will be five continuances before they get an actual hearing. Try to run a business doing that. And, and as I, and as I say, the, the real victim in that situation is the, is the 14 year old child. Yes. Yes. It's obviously affected her. You know, so anyway, judge bells tells I, I, us in, all in some of the notes, I noticed that, that, Go ahead. Oh, I, uh, all I'm going to say, Judge Bellis, so he cautioned the lawyers that, that these court appearances affect the children, but what can you say but be nice out there? Well, if one person hires a shark, the other person is stuck. That, that, that's right. And, and, and the, the, you know, the judgment, whatever way it goes, affects both, both sides of the, of, of the family. Uh, yeah. and, and, and when there's children involved, it goes on and on and on, and it doesn't stop when the child turns 18 because it still affects them as they, they enter adulthood too. One, one judge told me that there were, there were parents in his court that were fighting again over a 17 year old. And they'd been doing that for like 10 years, at least he called the kid into chambers and he says, what do you want me to do? And he ordered whatever the child wanted at that point. You know, I, I, I was reading, am I correct that they don't recognize the word divorce in California? Right. It's dissolution of marriage. We dissolved the marriage. There was a, a, a family law commission back in the late 60s appointed by Governor Brown I. And they, uh, that's when the whole family law court was started. And we started having no fault, although no fault was in the air already. Um, yeah. 
and 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 this commission says we just want this to be a non-adversary process. So instead of plaintiff and defendant, it's now petitioner and respondent. Except that on the summons that accompanies your petition, under the respondent's name, there's a black box, a black box that says you have been sued. You know, that's their idea of non-adversary. Right, right, yeah. That, and of course, that, using, that doesn't make using, sense. And using the word custody calls forth an adversary attitude, too. Folks, we're, we are scrolling to this website on the, on, across the screen, and I invite you to visit it and get a lot of information that we've been discussing uh, and also get additional information. And also, if necessary, reach out to, to Judith if you have a question or maybe you say, how do I go about doing this in the state that I live in? Uh, because it, I, think, I think it's very important going into that marriage and whether you are the parent of, of uh, a son or a daughter that's going into marriage or even a grandparent, it's a good idea that you know what's going on uh, and also that you can share it with your, with your family. Oh, hey, this little book makes a great uh, bridal shower gift. <laughs> right. I, I, you actually, actually, it, 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 see, it seemed funny when you said it, but it is a good idea. That should be something. Yeah, go, go, going into it. I uh, recommend to a young woman that, that uh, um, my doctor's receptionist, she said, yeah, she just got engaged. And what I suggested was that you sit down with a cup of coffee or tea or a beer and have your fiancé read it to you. That way he gets into it without you telling him what to do. <laughs> and, then, and then you both take the test at the end of the book. Right, right. It's all I hear. Yeah. What, uh, another thing that... that it, Another thing that's always been a little confusing to me, and I want you to, to, to air, air it out, and that is, what is an annulment and how soon after a marriage, if there is a need for it, can an, can an annulment be, be done? Well, an annulment says that there was no, that, that the marriage was not valid because of... Uh, some kind of fraud that there was a misrepresentation on the, on the part of one spouse, and if you had known about the truth, you never would have gotten married. So it, there's no time limit on that. It just depends on when you find out, and if you should have known in the first place. So there was a misrepresentation, and you relied on that misrepresentation, and that was a reasonable thing to do. And then the, the damage, you got married and then there's some horrible result. So there is no, there is no time limit that somebody can, can file for an, annul, an annulment rather than a, than a dissolution of marriage. Right, right. Wow. Yeah. I got I to gotta tell you something, Judith. Yes. You're. You're, you're, you're bringing up information that I never knew about. And my wife and I have been married 49 and a half years. 
I didn't think of the contracts you could have written. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I always suggest, you know, who takes out the garbage? Who cleans the toilet? Right. Yeah. You know, and, and if I don't take out the garbage, are you going to file for an annulment? Well, no, that, that doesn't qualify. Then there's another, there's another process too. There's un, called a nullity, N-U-L-L-I-T-Y. It means there was no valid marriage to start with. And that is, um, if there was, if it was, uh, uh, a close relative, for example, or uh, if a person was impotent from the beginning and didn't know it, I mean, didn't disclose that, there was no marriage because there was no valid consent. Anyway, that's pretty rare. You, you, you got you got to be pretty careful, don't you? I guess people say you should do a credit check. <laughs> yeah, that's probably not a, that's probably not a bad idea either because you know just like people that that date you know uh over over social media they have a tendency to inflate their their uh you know uh their their character uh and also you know <laughs> you, you might you might be right you might have to take the test before you even approach getting that marriage license Right. And then there were, there's other considerations too. I had one woman uh, for a divorce that um, she inherited $30,000 for anti mod and she put it in an account in her name. Okay. So that's keeping it separate property. It was an inheritance and she put it in a separate account. However, she worked as a teacher and she put her earnings in that same account. And when it came to a divorce, the judge ruled that she had, by putting her community property earnings into that separate property account, she had converted the account to community property. Now, I thought the judge was wrong, but then, then I think the judge was familiar with the other lawyer. But anyway, that was not worth appealing for $30,000. So well, I certainly hope through our, yeah, I, I, I hope through our conversation that we've, we've managed to answer more questions than we've raised, but I think that there were questions that were, were raised. That's why I encourage people to, to reach out, visit the website and all, and, and reach out to Judith if you, if you have questions. Uh, and I, I thank you very, very much for taking the time to, to share this conversation with me. My pleasure. I like, I like talking about it. Um, and I'd also, Stuart, like to know any horror stories about somebody's disastrous divorce that was the fault of the court or the lawyers. Right. <laughs> well, the, my book. the the book is the Marriage License Handbook and Test. Check yes. it out. Check you it can, out. On on uh, on Amazon or Barnes and Noble. Very good. Well. That will do it for another edition of Someone You Should Know. I thank my very special guest, Judith Kaluzny. And uh, I always end my show by saying, be yourself, because everyone else is already taken. And so that will, that will do it for another edition of Someone You Should Know. And again, thank you to my very special guest, Judith Kaluzny. I like it. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you. 
someone you should know.